If you grab your Bible and turn to Colossians, I'm going to read some of chapter 1, and then we're going to read into chapter 2 as we pick up our study in Colossians this morning. As we read and discussed last week, the scriptures say, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this. In order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, it is a staggering thing for a human being to say that they are going to proclaim your word, that they're going to explain your word. Part of the reason why it is so important that we heed Paul's command to give attention to the public reading of scripture is that it is so easy for errors and uh, half-truths, which are half-lies, to enter into our thinking, even ignorantly, we can begin to twist or to reshape or to remake your word into something other than what it is. And that's just our human nature. And then there are those who desire to warp and to twist your word and make it say something other than what it says, make it say something more palatable or exciting or attractive to our fallen natures. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would guard our hearts and minds as as we read and as we spend time in your word. I pray that the, the things that are said would build and increase faith. Not faith in a in a God that that we shape ourselves, not faith in a salvation that, that, that we define, but in 
but that the, the time spent in the word would reveal you as you are. And that it would reveal your hearts for us. That it would reveal your heart's desire for us and your intention in drawing us to yourself and, and saving us, Lord. And that it would reveal what it is that is most important for us. And that, that we would then guard and keep the main thing. We pray that, that we would not be those who, in, in seeking to, to do so many things, in seeking to, uh, to, to get so many areas of our, our life in order or... Uh, looking here and there, running all around, trying to discover teachings that unlock all of our potential or whatever it is that the latest craze is, that we would not miss the main thing. And that is that you are good, you are kind, you sent your son to redeem lost humanity, and that our focus and our attention should be on Jesus, and that our intentions ought to be to be remade into his image by your spirit and by the circumstances that you send our way, and that we would seek to share that good news with others, both in the way that we treat them, in the way that we express love and kindness to others, and in the words that we share with them. Sometimes difficult truths, sometimes reminding them of the truths of your kindness and your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you call us into fellowship with you. We pray that all that we say would be pleasing to you and that it would build us up in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be easy to be people of faith if faith were a bit more like technology, right? Uh, We we have this hope, or at least I have this hope and and faith in technology that that things should be like, set it and forget it, you know? Like, I want to program the thermostat in my house, and I always want it to be the right temperature and to use the least amount of energy possible, and I want to save money and be comfortable, Right? Set it and, and forget it. I want, I want for my computer and my phone and all my data and pictures, I want them to always be like in sync and everything to be working properly. I want it to be, I want it to be right. I want my bills to be like auto, the, the phrase I've seen on, on some blogs, I want them to be automatically paid. Right? Like, it would, yeah, you like that? It, it's just like it all works out perfectly. There's always exactly the right amount coming in in order to co- cover everything. But you know what? I, I realize, like, that is a complete and total fantasy. Have you ever noticed how often, like, your phone updates and changes and things aren't the same anymore? And you need to, like, wait a minute, what just happened here? Like, why doesn't anything look right anymore? If you've if you used an app like Instagram and stopped using it like a year ago and you log back in, you don't even recognize it anymore. It's totally different, you know? And you'll get a bill from the cable company and you'll look at it and you're like, wait a minute, last month this was whatever, $55, $65. How did it get to be $125? And you find some charge there and you call them up and you say, what's up with that? Change that. Everything's always changing on us, right? This is... This is what I, I think that 
sometimes we transition this idea over into the Christian life and we think like, well, I just kind of set and forget things. Jesus died for me. He loves me. God cares for me. And that means that I'll just set it and forget it. And I'll, I'll leave that and then I'll go live my life, right? And then we encounter a period of suffering or difficulty or we make uh, an unwise choice or a series of unwise choices or we try to share with somebody and encourage and we realize like, wow, I've not been keeping close with God at all and I got nothing good to share because I've not been communicating with him at all. We try to, try to summon up a Bible verse, right? And it's not there because... You just, you've, you've not been turning it over in your heart. I think this is one of those great principles of Scripture that we learn eventually, hopefully, is that relationships with people aren't set and forget. They're relationships, they're active, they need to be kept active and, and, and vital. Now, here's the good news. You probably have some of those good friends in your life who you haven't talked to in years. You call them up and you're like, hey, and it's just like, it's like, like there, no time has passed at all, right? And then there are other people who you call them and you talk to them and it's like weird that you haven't talked to them in a long time. And it's awkward and it's strange, it's difficult. And, you know, they're like, why are you calling me? And what's up? And they're like, you must need something, you know, like that, that's kind of the feeling that you get from them. The good news is, is that, is that because God is gracious and loving and kind and welcoming, when we reach out and we say, hey, it's been a while, he is always there and always ready. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something that, that we need to embrace or that we need to, uh, to, to take hold of in our lives in order to keep our relationship with the Lord current. We can't just set and forget it. Faith doesn't work that way. Faith is living and active because we don't have faith in a machine or in some undefined being that's somewhere in the universe We have a God who's been very clear with us about who he is and how he behaves and what it is that he wants. I want to look at the the, the lead up to verse 28. This is what what Paul says. He's describing his his charge, that, that he's called to embrace suffering as part of his mission to share the good news with the Gentiles. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He says, taking the gospel to you means I'm embracing suffering, and that's okay because it helps me identify with Christ. I understand what he went through based on what I'm going through, not not fully understanding the depths of the suffering that Christ took upon himself. But Paul talks about the fellowship of his sufferings in, in, the, gospel, in the book of Philippians. And he says, I was entrusted with the mission of sharing the word with you. It's a stewardship. It's, it's a trust that's been given to me by God, and I'm sharing with you. He's sharing this mystery hidden for ages and generations, which has now been revealed. And he says... To them, to the Gentiles, to you, God made, God chose to make known 
these amazing riches, this, this incredible treasure that was hidden but now is revealed. And the treasure is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because when we put our faith and trust in the gospel, Christ enters into us, the spirit enters in, we can have confidence and we can know that one day we will stand in glory with the Father, with the Son, with all of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. We can know and trust that we will make it into God's presence and that we will be righteous and we will be accepted. Christ in us is the hope of glory. He's the hope of glory. Not all of the things that are good and support our faith, right? The word is good and knowing the word is good, but it is not the hope of glory. Giving is good because it it teaches us that, that we can give away and that God will still supply and that we can trust him. But that's not the hope of glory. Doing good, loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourself, loving others is good. It's what we were created for, but that doesn't earn glory for us. None of the, none of the good things that support and build our faith are the anchor of our hope of glory. Right. That it, none of these things root and tie us into heaven. I love this image um, and I've, I've seen artists attempt to 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 render it. Um, but in the Old Testament, in the temple, there there was the surrounding curtain. Right. That that surrounded the whole tabernacle that kept anybody from wandering in. You had to be a Jew in order to wander into the courtyard. And in order to get through the second barrier, you had to be um, you had to be a male Jew. Right, in order to get into the inner court. And then in order to get into the actual structure, you had to be uh, a priest. And then in order to get into the Holy of Holies at the center, where, where, the, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and inside the Ark were the Ten Commandments, and, and there were these uh, angelic beings carved into it. And above that was God's presence dwelling in the Holy of Holies. And in order to get into there, you needed to be the high priest. And even then, you could only go in there uh, one day of the year, and you had to go in with the blood of the sacrifice. That was the holiest place, and, and no one could go in there. The high priest was just a, a representative of Jesus who was to come, right? But the book of Hebrews says that we have an anchor that, that, that goes behind the veil, that enters in beyond the curtain, right? So here's the image, right? Here's the tabernacle, and there's this anchor inside of the Holy of Holies. Like a big sea anchor. Just imagine that, right? And it's just thrown in there. And you've, you've seen some of the, have you seen any of these things at like shipyards, these huge anchors? And you think like, wow, it just kind of looks like a great big giant, you know, ho, ho, ho. Picked that thing up and just like dropped it there. How many people would it take to even move that thing? Seven. Seven? Seventy? Yeah. And then from that anchor is a, is a chain that comes out and connects to us. What, what is that anchor that gets 
inside of the Holy Holies and, 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 and guarantees us that we have the ability to, to say we have a claim in there. What is it that, that, that can't be violated or undone or changed? It's the righteousness of Christ. It's his very life lived for us. His death on our behalf and his resurrection. It's not us. Something that's given to us. As if Jesus dies for us and we see it happening and we hear the words that you need to put your faith and trust in him and his sacrifice in order to be righteous. And we say, okay, I'll believe that. And somebody hands us the end of the chain and says, hang on to this. Wraps it around us. Latches us to it. Nothing's ever going to change. Because God doesn't change. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's Paul's charge. His charge is to suffer and to share that word with those who need to hear it. That it's not the thousands of other things that, that human beings invent with their minds as ways of satisfying God. Christ, who is God, takes on human form and in his flesh satisfies God for us. And that is Paul's message. And then he gets to his instruction. And this is where it's, it's not set and forget. It, there, there, is, there is energy and straining and striving and, and, and there's intent and effort in it. This is what he says in verse 28. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When he says, him we proclaim, of course, he's referring to, to the one that he just mentioned in verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Listen, I could fill sermons with political observations and psychological observations about the world and, you know, clever illustrations of, of things that have happened in the past or historical vignettes or little, little cutesy little things that happened in the news, you know, or th- something that I saw on Facebook. You could pack your messages as a pastor with those kinds of things. And people will come and they will say, well, that was funny or that was enjoyable or that was encouraging or that was like a Hallmark movie, right? You know, that, 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 that made me feel good. But unless it is connected to Christ, it doesn't help anyone. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. I remember early in ministry, there was a woman at the church, First Baptist Church of Union, who said, you are like the greatest pastor that I have ever met. And I immediately responded. I said, I'm going to disappoint you. You should talk to my wife. Like, <laughs> but it was just this, this strong image of like your behavior and your way and your teaching like it's all so 
perfect. And I was like, please don't do that to me. Please don't put that on me. Because you know what? I am a sinner too. And I will fail. Do not tie your salvation and your hope and your belief in the validity of the church or pastoral ministry or the truth of the word or, you know, the, the, the effectiveness of what Jesus did on the cross. Don't tie that to me because I'm just a human being. Paul says we don't preach ourselves. That's a massive mistake. We preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. The false teachers in the cities that Paul is writing to, Colossae, Laodicea, they exalted themselves and their great spiritual attainments. I get nervous every time I read a a news article about a pastor or about a famous person who's just become a Christian. And it's like, look at all the evidence of how amazing they are and the things that they hear from God. It's like, Guys, do not, do not get wrapped up in this or fall into this. Don't, don't believe the hype about these people. Right. We used to have this magazine in the newspaper in New Jersey uh, called Parade, right? Oh, yeah. They still have Parade, right? And, and you know, there, there's, there's other magazines like this. But it, my pastor used to say, if somebody shows up on the cover of Parade and it says something like, I'm enjoying a brand new life. Like you're guaranteed that in three months they're going to be like divorced or in rehab or something. The minute that somebody says, imitate me and do exactly what I do because I have the answers, they're going to be in trouble. Maybe that's a little too cynical, right? You know, maybe there are some people who say, this is how my life changed and, and it's good news. But when we put people on the altar and we exalt them instead of Christ, we're setting ourselves up for failure. The false teachers said, you don't know what we know. We have attained more. You need to imitate us. They preached their philosophy and the empty traditions of of man. We see that in verse 8 of chapter 2. We'll look at that soon. They They shared... Bible truth mixed with philosophy and their ideas. Paul proclaimed Christ. Paul pointed them to Jesus. Paul proclaimed a person, not a philosophy. The the teachers would, uh, in verse 16 and 20 and 21, they would give lists of regulations and rules and and ways to to act and obey and all these things that you need to do in order to be righteous and perfect and holy and set apart and sanctified and just right before God by your own efforts. Paul pointed them to Christ. Paul said... That his focus was to proclaim Jesus and to warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom so that he could present them mature in Christ. The the word maturity here probably used by the false teachers to talk about the thing that they would learn or the, the initiation rite that they would get through or the secret teachings that they would learn that would set them apart from the the normal people, the lesser people. You were immature and uninitiated, and now you're, you're mature and you know the truth and the secrets. Here's what Paul is saying. Maturity is in growing into the image of Christ and knowing him and depending on him and seeing him as the center and the focus of all that you've, you've done. 
The, the, the false teachers would, would say, okay, you're hearing the things that we're saying and they, they sound good to everyone and everybody's interested, but there are secrets that you don't know. And when you know the secrets, you'll be like, I am in the know. I understand the true teaching. I understand the real knowledge. Paul says, let me tell you the secret. Ta-da! It's Jesus. He's the, the center and the focus. This, I think, is the, the good news. We, we talked last week about, uh, Jason shared about the Reformation and about how, how everything changed. There was this monumental shift. This is the good news. If you read the Bible from cover to cover and, and you, you dig into all of its mysteries and secret teachings, you know what you discover the Bible is about? Humanity is separated from God. Yes, that's a good one-word summary. I was going to say like 500 words to summarize it. Um, but that's a good one-word summary. It's about Jesus. Yeah. Skip to the next point. No, I'm going to say my 500 words. Um, you know, the, the scriptures show that God created the world and created man good, created him in relationship. Man destroyed that by his sin. And then God promised a savior. And the, the historical working of, of God through history as he brings Messiah to the cross and then the proclamation of Messiah to the whole world. I think that was like 200 words. The, the story of the scriptures is that humanity has fallen and God loves human beings and made a way for them to be brought back into right relationship with him and we're to grow into that image. There's no secret beyond that. And the good news is everybody can get a copy of the rule book and the playbook and understand what the story is. There's no mysteries here for the, the, the high priests or the initiated to understand that the common people don't. Paul says the goal is to teach everyone about Jesus and to, to help them to grow into his image. His intent was to present every believer perfect in Christ. Oh, there's that, that, that word that creates such anxiety and stress in the need-to-be-perfect crowd within the church. But Paul's not talking about perfect behavior here or perfect performance before God. He's talking about rest and trust in the fact that Jesus is sufficient for our every need. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he, he powerfully works in me. Paul's goal was to, to point the, the people to this, that God had supplied them with every single blessing that they would need in the heavenly places in Christ. Any spiritual need that you have is satisfied by your connection to Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him, if, you, if you've not put your faith and trust in him, then you are cut, up, cut off and separated from every good thing that you need in order to have a right relationship with God. But if you put your faith and trust in him, then you have everything that you need. Paul's goal wasn't just to get people saved, to get them to pray some prayer, but his goal was to, to demonstrate to them and to teach them that in every area of life, in, in every way, in every different activity, in every relationship that Christ was to be their model, and, and that, that all things were to be done for him, 
All things were to, to be seen as, as being built on the foundation of, of the work of Jesus. And, and all things were to be done by his power and through his grace. It's not easy, Paul says. So he says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul messes up for us any any sense of us working out the the question of, is it by divine power or human effort? Right? God must move in the hearts of people if they're going to believe in the gospel. God needs to move in our hearts if we're going to experience transformation. But at the same time, the minute that we, we think we've got it perfectly figured out, like, yes, it's all God, Paul will throw that monkey wrench in there, right? He'll just, he'll mess up the works for us by saying something like, I struggle with all his energy. It's because, yes, God works and does. But we need to become partners with him in this work. Because he's not interested in creating a, a race of, of clones, He's not interested in in just stamping his image on us and we are a a, a giant army of robots created to serve God's purpose and his will. What he wants is for us to actively engage who we are with our our passions and the things that excite us and the, the gifts that we've been given and his will. He wants us to lean into it. Paul says in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Figure this stuff out. Dig into the word and and, and peer into God's will for your life and and say, what, what habits need to be thrown away and what things need to be embraced? What do I need to lay hold of? What do I need to to begin to to cultivate in my heart? What do I need to distance myself from in order to become more like Jesus? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, how does that work? I think we can say this safely, that all that's done in order to save us, in order to make us righteous, in order to redeem us, all of that is done by the Lord. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. No one can boast. No one can say, I did that or I had part in it. But we're also called to engage it, to embrace it in order to to share the gospel with others, in order to experience spiritual transformation, in order to grow in our faith, we need to invest our own time and energy in it. None of it is set and forget, right? Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. And then he moves, right? The disciple needs to follow if they're going to keep up with him. Paul also extends this this struggle to the local church. 
He says in, in verses 2 through uh, 5, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul teaches and he shares because he wants them to be encouraged. Warren Wearsby says that to encourage people is to put courage into them, to give them, uh, to fire up their heart, to, to, to give them a, a new heart, not in a, in a spiritual sense, but to get them to cast off the old attitude and the old way of thinking and to embrace a new way. And so part of the struggle is to say, stop trusting in what you're trusting in. Trust in Christ. Examine yourself and see what's, what's crept in. There's encouragement. There's also endearment. Part of growing in Christ is realizing that we can't do this on our own and that we need others. We need to share and say, I need help. He talks about the fact that we're to be knit together in love. You know, it's a, an amazing, encouraging and comforting idea that God has given you within your spiritual family in your local church, people that you can share with and live life with and trust and ask for help. And God has given you the relationships that you need. Now, you also have to build those relationships, right? Hi, how are you? Let's get coffee. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's get to know each other more. Paul talks about being knit together in love and being encouraged. He also talks about uh, being enriched. That as we study and as we look at Christ, we'll, we'll see all of the ways in which Christ encourages us and cares for us and ministers to us. And all the ways in which he supplies our every need. Those things may not be immediately obvious, but we see the benefits and blessings that, that come from Christ when we, when we read his instruction or we realize that we can, we can pray to him and he's interceding at the throne for us. And we realize that, that he's given us the right because of his death to call ourselves the children of God. There are so many ways in which Jesus answers and addresses our every need. I love this quote by a pastor. He says, mature Christians don't complain about what they don't have. Rather, they make use of the vast resources that they have been given in Jesus Christ. Encouragement, endearment, enrichment. And then finally, Paul talks about enlightenment, which is the full assurance of understanding. We have to build that instinct we need to, to build that, that reaction. Our reaction by, by nature is so often to say, I trust in myself. I'll get this done. I'll, I'll handle this on my own without any help from outside. What we learn as we grow in dependence on Christ is we say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I, I need you to supply what I need right now. Lord, I'm, I'm looking to you for guidance and for wisdom. The, the mature believer grows in the knowledge that he is fully dependent on the Lord for so many things. The immature Christian thinks, I got 87% of my life covered. 
right? And the remaining whatever percent, I can't do math in public. Um, what was it? 13, thank you, my son. You are wise and smart. Um, the remaining 13%, I need God to handle. The, that, that verse that we so often you know, hear trotted out, I think we miss the meaning of it many times. The writer to Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's the 87% of what we already know, right? In all of our ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct our path. We're to have full assurance of understanding. Paul talks about treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom implies knowing and and knowing how to apply what we already understand. And knowledge is is absorbing more truth so so that we can build out what we need to know about what God has given to us. Paul earlier said that God had unveiled a mystery. The mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's that's the doorstep of salvation, right? That that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we suddenly, we have a, a claim on glory because Christ is in us. But the mystery here that Paul is unveiling in, in verse two, he says that he wants us to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This is, this is different, the explanation. Here, the mystery, the, what is unveiled, is that Christ contains in himself all the treasures of wisdom, all the blessings, all the good things that we need. This is what I find so amazing about what's revealed in the scriptures. And honestly, I, don't, I, I just don't think that human beings could invent this idea. Every religion in the world says this, this is what you must do to satisfy God. You must serve him in this way and then he will give you something good. This is what the scriptures teach. You can't serve God. He must serve you. He must give you everything. You must come to him and say, I have nothing to offer you. I can't offer you good actions. I can't offer you good intentions. I have have lived a life in rebellion against you. I need everything from you. And you know what we discover when we say that? God says, I'll give you everything that you need. Here you go. And he graciously gives us everything that we need for life. Christ contains in himself all the treasures. Ephesians 1.3, I can remember sitting down to prep to preach years ago when we were in the old building on those first couple of verses in Ephesians and saying, what in the world am I even going to say about this? About Ephesians 1.3, that in him are contained all the blessings of heaven. That, that, that We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And it just, it was this earth-shattering, mind-altering, in the Christian sense of the word, um, experience in the word. And it, it, it's just, it, it was an amazing shift for me that all that we need is Christ. All that we need. 
And so there will be those who say you need Jesus plus this, right? Jesus plus this amazing prayer life. You need Jesus plus, you know, this experience. You need, you need the word plus this. You need this, yeah, but move on from that and move on to this next thing. Paul says, no, everything you need is here. You need to strive and strain and push forward in order to apply it to yourself. But the good news is that God has given us everything that we need in Christ. He's our hope. We've been given it from the outset, and God's never going to take it back or remove it from us. But he calls us to spend the rest of our lives digging deep into it and understanding and applying it to ourselves. So there's good news And there's challenging news. The good news is this. God's given us everything we need in Christ. And he's made us righteous. And we can worship and praise him knowing that that we have a hope in heaven that's not going to be removed. But we also have a road set before us. The rest of our lives is understanding and learning and unpacking what it means that Jesus is everything to us. And so we ought to press forward in that and avoid anyone, as Paul says in verse 4. He says it so that no one may delude us with plausible arguments. People are going to say, Jesus plus this. And we're going to say, no, Jesus plus nothing. He's all I need. And I'm figuring out what that means. That's the gospel. That's what it means to live the Christian life. And then Paul is going to attack specific enemies, and we'll get into that as we go. It's going to be, he's going to be violent when he encounters some of these crazy, bad, difficult, distracting ideas. But those are sermons for another day. We're going to close in prayer and then sing a, a final song. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your graciousness to us. Lord, sometimes we need to be told that you're a good shepherd and that you lead us and guide us. Other times we need to be told that we need to defend ourselves against false teaching. You give us each and every teaching and idea that we need from your word. And I thank you that you give us great assurance that we are saved. You give us hope that when we see you one day in glory, that we'll be able to say, I am only here because of what Christ has done for me. And yet we'll understand how we can also say, I leaned into it. I pressed forward. I struggled. And I learned to understand what it meant that Jesus possesses in himself all the treasures and all the understanding that I need. And I learned that teaching others was important as well, teaching them to depend only on him. Lord, we don't know how it works out like that, that our effort factors into something that you've done wholly for ourselves, holy, holy for us, rather. But that's what you call us to, Lord, to lean into the work that you're doing and the work that you've already accomplished in us. And so we pray that we would not shift from this truth that Jesus is our hope and that we would dig in and, and press into the truth that all the riches of his mystery, all the riches of wisdom and understanding are, are, are in him. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for this time in your word, and we pray this, knowing that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together as we close.